Hi, and welcome back to the Brando and Joe podcast. For this podcast episode, our guest is Arti Polvarapu. She's currently a PhD student at Bowling Green State University and a consulting intern at OE Strategies. Welcome, Arti. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. One thing I, I left out too is RT uh, was a previous master's student at Hofstra, where Brandon yep. and I go right now. So that's how we were connected. Everyone had like such high praise for you. Everyone's <laughs> like, oh, you're good at RT. Oh, we love RT. All like the second years that we have right now. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah, I miss them. <laughs> no, yeah, we have, we have a good cohort. Um, oh, yeah. Definitely. Do you still talk to your cohort a lot like did you guys have a close cohort in your master's school um so my cohort like the first year we started it was the COVID year which meant that we did everything online so I think I know people think that doing that kind of like makes you more distance with your cohort but my cohort kind of like got really close together the first year because of being online so we had to like do zoom happy hours and like text each other all the time and we kept each other in check so I think that did help so by the time I actually came to the US because I'm an international student I already had friends that could like pick me up from the airport, friends that I could have, get a house with and things like that. So I would say that our court like started out in a really weird COVID phase, but we all got really close because of that, because we had to like depend on each other. And I do still talk to like at least a dozen people from my court pretty regularly. And the good thing is that I feel like I can reach out to anyone from my court right now, because that's kind of like, it's been a year since we graduated, but I could always message someone and be like, Hey, can you help me out with this? And there would be no questions asked. So if you, I would wow. say that, yeah, like at least for me, I got along really well with most of my friends and we're all still pretty close. That's awesome. I know uh, when you say find a house, it's the same house that Joe and I are moving into. So <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. It is the IF house. Um, three girls from the year before me lived in that house. And then me and Tanang Courtney, we moved there. And then, yeah, the people in the second year night right now, we, we're trying to pass it down. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's awesome. Uh, so talking a little bit about your experience at Hofstra and in that master's program, when you were in school, how long into your program did it seem like you were going to go for your PhD? Um, so I did enter the program with half a mind about getting a PhD eventually, but then I specifically chose Hofstra's program because I wanted to see what the applied world looked like. Because even though I was like interested in research and like kind of getting those skills set, I still wanted to like have an applied job and go apply it eventually. So that's why I was like, oh, maybe I should search for a program that's very applied and focused. I can like understand it more. And so I did have like a graduate assistantship for the first year at Hofstra, which is how I like got paired with Dr. Liu, who does a lot of workplace ostracism um, research. So I was like her assistant because of scholarship and stuff. So I started working with her. But then I also joined Dr. Nicholas Salter's lab. He has a lab called Wild Lab and started working with him on research. So I thought like, even though I was like going through the program and it was giving me a lot of applied skills, I still like got really interested doing the research work and could see more clearly how that research could be applied in practice. So I think that's how I was like, okay, I feel like I need to go get more get more skilled in this research area, be more stronger in stats, be able to start stuff from the scratch and go through. And that's when I was like, all right, I need to get a PhD and start looking at programs at that point. I feel like we hear that from a, like a lot of people, like ne not necessarily everyone is going in, like I want a PhD so badly, uh, but there's programs out there like Hofstra offers the graduate research assistantship that kind of like gets you introduced. Yeah. Um, so I actually, I guess if anyone's listening and like you have the chance to do that, 
Um, I had one, I know Brandon had one too. Like it is super helpful. And as you see, it worked out for art. Even if you don't have an assistantship, you can always volunteer like Dr. Salter. Like my actual assistantship was not with Dr. Salter, but with Dr. Lou. But I was like, oh, I still have more time and I want to do more research. So I just like reached out to a couple of professors to see if someone had a project going on. And they're more than happy to take those hands on. So like always try and reach out. That's a great call out for sure. I, I did the same thing with Dr. Islam and I did research with him just for like a the yeah. month of January, just because we had the time. I was like, oh, I'd, I'd love to help out. <laughs> yeah. One thing I'm interested in is when you uh, apply for your PhD program, do you have to like go in with a research topic in mind or do you just kind of get into the program and then you figure it out when you talk to the professors? So it can work both ways. So once you start looking at PhD programs, you'll see that some schools have like a one-to-one match where you have to like perfectly fit with your advisor and what they do and kind of be interested in the research areas that they're working in. But there's also like cohort-based programs where you can like slightly have an area that you're interested in. So you could say like, oh, this is what I want to do, but not really know what specifically you want to do. And in those cases, you can like apply to programs where they don't really match you with an advisor, but just kind of see if you're like interested enough to do a, re, um, a research or a PhD kind of stuff. So it depends on like how specific you know about, like specifically you know about which topic you're interested in and how committed you are to it. So if you're someone that's always been like, oh, this is the topic I want to do, this is the research I want to work with, then it like makes it easier to apply to programs. But then there's also like a lot of programs that take people coming straight out of undergrad where you, all you need to know is if you really want to go into the research realm and you can find your topics and areas more when you get in so it, so it, there's like a good mix of schools between both of those so you can either go for a perfect match or kind of be like this is what i'm interested in but i'm going to do figure it out while i'm in the program so you can do both oh, it's comforting to know because i always i feel like every phd student i talk to they have like uh they're like i want to research this and then like if they applied and they like sort of right away i was like i have no idea what i want to research even if i was supposed to go for a yeah, phd yeah. one day and I'll add to that, like when we entered the Hofstra program, I know that there were professors asking all of us what our research interests were. And some of us were just kind of throwing stuff out there and seeing <laughs> what the best option would be uh, or what sounded the best, but it wasn't necessarily how we felt. And some of us actually like what we threw out there ended up being what we feel now. But it was mm-hmm. just so hard in the beginning when we had no knowledge on the field or like limited yeah. knowledge on the field to sit there and be like, I want to do research on servant leadership or, or something like that, where I, like I would have no idea what that was at the beginning of the semester. I think yeah. I just said statistics, like when they asked what I want to research. And yeah, like, what does that even mean? But I think I probably just like froze on the spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like right now you're in the program. I know people that like did start their school year with something they were interested in, did got their master's and stuff. And by the time they reached the PhD level, they were like completely different focus areas. So that's like the good thing about being in like a grad school or like in a PhD program, because you just read so much and you talk to people with different interests that you, you're like, oh, I never thought about that angle. And you, you like completely change your mind. So that happens all the time. So even if you start the program with, I want to study this particular thing with this particular method and stuff, you change all the time. So... Now, uh, we kind of want to transition, RT, and talk a little bit about what you're doing in your PhD over at Bowling Green. Um, I know that 
as you said, Hofstra is a little more applied. So before we go into like strictly Bowling Green, let's kind of compare and contrast a little bit. So what are some of the differences in that like applied program versus like a very research heavy program at Bowling Green? So the interesting thing is that even though a PhD sounds like you're just going to end up in academia and become a professor, or you're always going to end up doing research, more, more often than not, IO programs are very still, still very practical because people do understand that there's almost always a 50-50 split. So like if you have a cohort of five to six people, half of them might want to go into prof- like teaching and the other half might want to go applied. So even though from the outside, it seems like Bowling Green is going to be super research heavy, which it is, like it's not like it's not, there's still a lot of like applied um, opportunities that you get while you're in the job, uh, in the program. So I would say the difference between Hofstra and Bowling Green, or like the master's level and the PhD level would be, I read a lot now, I feel like, because at Hofstra, it was more important to understand how to apply it, because you'd always have your sources and you can always go back to like, this was the basic for, foundation for it. But here it's like trying to keep up to date and there's so much research coming out all the time. So I feel like once my semester starts, there's no reading for fun anymore. I only just like read for classes and research stuff. But it, it gets easy. It's it's still easy because you're super interested in it. So it's not that bad. So I would say it's like you focus a lot more on getting all the up-to-date advanced knowledge. So you're reading a lot. Plus, you're also working a lot of stats. So I feel like I didn't, I, even though I had stats at Hofstra and like I used to work a bit with that, but, you know, running your codes and running SPSS, R, like all those things, you do it more on a daily basis. So like definitely a more of a stats focus and more a lot more reading. That's basically any research program, any PhD program. Makes I think it makes sense because I know at Hofstra we do a lot of like projects where we use like research articles, but yeah. it's kind of I think they use the term like pre- uh, pretend you're presenting to like an executive board. So you know I'm not writing down like a whole bunch of scholarly terms. It's kind of like bullets and um, more dumbed down language, if there's a better word. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I'm guessing you guys don't do a lot of those types. Yeah, it's more just hammering down those articles. (laughs) Yeah, it goes from zero to 100 real quick because like like same at at Hofstra or like usually in like applied programs, you're more used to what's the gist of this article? Like what do you get from this? What what are they trying to get across? But when you're in a PhD program, like we shred an article apart. It's just like trying to go through what's the method? How do they do that? That doesn't work. Like trying to like go more in depth about are the results invalid? Whereas when you're not doing that, when you're more in a practitioner role, you're just taking what you get from it and kind of applying to it, applying it. So I feel like that's basically a difference. So you're not examining it more in depth because you believe someone else has already done that and you take away from it. Whereas like in a research program, you're going to go through every single line and like highlight everything and kind of be like, oh, this doesn't fit here and things like that. So you question it more deeply, I'd say. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Asking the right questions is always something that we're trying to gain from our programs. I feel like that's something that we talked about, especially in Dr. Salter's class, like just looking at things and not just taking it at face value, but asking questions about it and diving deeper into it. Um, So now, like talking about that and talking about the research at Bowling Green, uh, when you did that transition and you started there, I know we kind of like touched on this, but I want to go a little deeper, like that driving factor in for, for you personally going for your PhD. What was that? So for me, like I said, I 
felt like I wanted to be like an expert in one specific thing rather than like focusing on the like it was great like getting the breadth of knowledge and like understanding all these different fields that IO is usually in but I thought like my main like driving factor behind getting a PhD was I want to pick a topic become the expert on it so that I can go and like kind of like expand that field so kind of like picking my niche area and that was just like a personality thing it was more like I was like I feel like there's so much more to learn about these topics that I haven't really done yet and I could do it on my free time but I also want to like get the skill set to kind of expand on it so it was always that because I know a lot of people think people going to their PhD because it's going to make you more money or things like that but even because I know my friends that graduated with me from the master's program in four years five years we're all going to be at the same level even pay-wise they'll advance with like on the job training and I'll advance with like education but I think for me, it was like, oh, I feel like I don't know enough about these things. And I'm still interested in like going through three, four years of school again to kind of like get more into it. So I think that was like a personal decision where I was like, yeah, I need to be an expert and know more about these things before I can go out. No, it's, it's very, it's very good of you. Not a lot of people will like just be like, I'll just, I'll learn it one day. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, another question that I had was, I know for those who want to go for a PhD, there's a whole bunch of different programs out there is there a certain way you narrow down that list or like were you always looking at bowling green from the start or did they kind of like present a certain thing that attracted you to their program so i think uh, as you already probably know dr kevin dole and dr nicholas sauter both of them at hofstra were professors they both went to bowling green so i kind of knew about bowling green from them but also it's like super high ranked and it's always in like the top three and things like that. So it was always on my radar, but I first didn't think I'd get in. And second, it was just like, oh, like it was important for me to get a research interest match because as much as like the program was highly ranked, if you don't really get a great professor that you want to work with, or at least like one or two people that you think there that will add to your knowledge base, then you don't really want to go there. So I think I started with that. I kind of had like the good thing with IO PhD programs is since there's not a lot, it's easier to kind of go through everyone and have like a very comprehensive research done on that. So that's what I started doing. And I also obviously looked at the rankings and stuff, but the first couple schools that were like highly ranked, like I didn't have any research ma matches because there were like some schools that were focusing a lot on like AI or machine learning and that's cool and upcoming, but like not something I was interested in. So for me, narrowing it down was one just like, kind of quality of alumni. So like seeing where people ended up there, because I do want to have like good prospects once I get out of the program and not just study for the sake of it. Second was basically like getting an advisor match to see if there were any areas that I was interested in or people that I really wanted to learn from. And three, also just like the financial feasibility, because like being in school for three, four years more, like if I could afford to do that, if there was like, if they were funded, if there was a stipend, so those things also kind of heavily factored in. So once you like do all that research, put together a spreadsheet, then you kind of have an idea about where you'd want to go and stuff. Do a lot of PhD programs for IO specifically offer that uh, stipend or, you know, if you work, they'll pay for your tuition sort of thing? So most of the state universities usually do. So if it's like a state funded program, it's, there's more chances that they will have like a tuition waiver. So you don't pay for that and kind of an additional stipend so you get like a grad assistantship or a teaching assistantship so things like that so that you can at least like pay like it's not a lot of money saved but at least it's like kind of sustaining yourself so i know most of the state universities usually have that option and 
the more competitive it is, the more likely it is that they will have funding. But I, most of the private universities usually, like they have partial funding, but not usually full, fully funded program. Whereas most state universities would have like a fully funded program. Oh, okay. Because yeah, I know that no, was that a big sense. thing for, and Brandon and I talked about it before. Um, depend, like if we wanted to go for our PhD one, one day, like having that ability to work or teach um, yeah. and take that some of that money off the tuition was like a big part of it because they, they get expensive. They can get really they, expensive. Yeah. Definitely. Like financials was the only reason why I probably didn't consider going to Hofstra anymore for my PhD because like I loved the faculty. I loved everything about it. But it was just like I already like paid for two years of school there, which was already expensive. So I was like, I don't think I can afford to do it for another three years, which is why. And also, like I learned a lot from the faculty and I'm still in touch with them. So it was like good opportunity to get out there and like explore more options. Yeah, increase your network 100 um, percent. Yeah. So with that, too, like you're talking about how um, you're getting you became specialized or you're working at becoming specialized in something. Uh, what? Uh, so for you, RT, getting a PhD after you graduate, what is the end goal there with the PhD? Does the PhD help with that end goal? Or was it just something that is an extra step along the way to really help you gain that task knowledge? So the end goal for me definitely is like, I would still want to stay applied and go more towards just like taking my skill set and applying it in the workplace. And I do think that I needed a PhD to get to the kind of jobs that I'd want because I think I'd want to be in kind of the ideation, like the the foundational steps of the place. So more like I think this is like a great program to implement or like coming in, kind of seeing what OD consultants do, kind of like looking at a pro problem, coming up with a solution, things like that. And I do think that the way I picture myself in an applied place is going to be where I'd have to deal with a lot of data and come up with like new solutions and kind of like pilot stuff and things like that. All skills, which I think I would get from a PhD. So just trying to like understand, read data, see theories kind of makes sense, kind of like synthesize those things. So I feel like that's why for me, as much as I want to learn more about the subject, I also knew that eventually when I get into the job market, these are skills that I'd want to have to kind of have the kind of positions I envision myself being in. And so that's why I was like, this serves my end goal more. No, yeah, yeah, you're hundred percent right. There's definitely like that added extra knowledge coming with the PhD, but that how you were talking about before, like more specified on like a certain topic and you get to learn those, like the ins and outs of like data processing and analytics, which is like a huge part of our world in IO today. I ran and I've had like a whole bunch of guests on previously talking about data itself, which you'll, you definitely get a chance to work with, I shouldn't say a chance, you definitely get more of a chance to work with in your master's program. Uh, but, but I believe in my uh, PhD program, like it's, you take it like a whole another step further. Yeah. Definitely. Our podcast was becoming a people analytics podcast for a second, Joe. We were yeah. So many people <laughs> on talking is, about it. <laughs> it is the new hot and coming analytics and trying to like take the run. Cause that's like where you can show your value as an IO straight away. Cause otherwise it's always like, Oh, are you just HR? Are you just doing this? So I feel like with the analytics coming into the space with like AI stuff too, it's like, Oh, we can do all of these things and people are actually paying attention. So it's the new shiny toy for sure. <laughs> it's the shiny new job. A hundred percent. No, we, uh, We've been, and Brandon's right. It has kind of been turned into a people analytics podcast, but um, <laughs> it's, it, you're right. And it's a way where we can like show our, show our stuff 
Like uh, we do so much data processing in this field of work, but when people hear the term like IO psychology or just psychology in general, I guess to someone who hasn't been in psychology, the term data doesn't really come to mind first. Yeah. So with these jobs, like people analytics, um, we're going through a research program. Um, and even some of those like HR, I know HR is like a broad umbrella terminology. Um, and there's a whole bunch of different things you could do in HR. Uh, but there's a lot of like data centered roles yeah. in HR that IO psychology be good for. And just if people knew that, like we do work a lot with data. <laughs> Yeah, when you like go to PSYOP, that's when you I feel like first discover there's so many different areas in IO, even though we've been like students in IO for a while. When you go to like a conference like that and see like thousands of people that are all IOs or like being in that area, it's like, oh, there's so much. Like, I feel like we don't even get to understand the the things that we kind of like have an impact on. But like when you go to a conference like PSYOP and see everybody doing so great at their jobs and like making an impact, you're like, oh, IO is actually pretty cool. So that's. It's good to like have those um, kind of avenues. Yeah, it's exponential when people when you're at PSYOP. I feel like you see somebody and then you see like 10 people doing what you want to do and it fuels yeah. the fire even more. Uh, <laughs> but that's actually like a good segue too, as uh, Joe and I were both, um, it was our first PSYOP and we were learning a lot. Um, we want to ask you um, for our final question today, just as somebody who is starting their PhD and going through that process after getting their master's, what is one piece of advice that you have for incoming IO students to help them decide whether or not they want to go for their PhD or just in general? Yeah, sure. Um, I would say my main piece of advice would be talk to as many people as you can, because like IO obviously as a world depends a lot on networking. But even when you're starting your PhD program, like I get at least like five to six requests every week on LinkedIn where it's like, hey, I just want to see what you're doing or like, can we have a chat? Just like ask questions and things. And I've like done most of those chats whenever I can, like whenever my schedule permits. But I feel like talking to people that are in the program, why they're in the program kind of like helps you understand if it's like the right path for you or not. Because that's how I kind of decided which school I wanted to go to. Because when I was applying and looking into different schools, then it was just talking to the current students kind of helps you get an idea about the program, why they're in that program and helps you decide. So that's how I, even though I like knew my topic, I was like, I should go to a school where I have the chance to like change my advisors. Cause I was like, I'm not super sure about what I want to do. So that's why I feel like PhD, not a PhD, getting a job, whatever, like IO people are super friendly. So you guys might have seen that at PSYOP, like everybody's happy to have a chat. So reach out, talk to people and kind of like learn from their experiences and see if that's how you envision yourself. So yeah, talk to as many people as you can. That's definitely the takeaway. And I've never met a single person in IO who's been too busy to not have a chat because they're super down to earth and super happy to help usually. And you might have seen that while you're inviting people to your podcast. Like they're always happy to get the word out. Sometimes we're surprised. We're like, oh, wow, they really want to talk to us. We're more than happy. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it re it's great advice. Uh, it's exactly what I did when I was trying to get in um, to IO. And even before that, when I didn't really know what I wanted to do, you just reach out on LinkedIn yeah. and you say, can you talk to me about like what you do, how you got into what you do. And like a 10 minute conversation can really change your whole perspective on the avenue you want to go down and the type of jobs that you'd want to apply to. Um, yeah. And there's, there's no one better to talk to than the people who are currently doing it right now. Diverse the bubbles. They kind of like let you know how it's not all glamorous. Like all you see is like three years from now, you can put a doctor in front of your name, but like they kind of like help you explain 
the journey and like the hardships and things like that. So all and people are very honest usually because it the good thing with the PhD program is even if they're trying to sell you on it, it has to be a good two way fit. So if it's not like if the professor doesn't see you being a happy person here, they'll let you know. They'll be like, this doesn't seem like a good program for you because it's a lot of time and a lot of effort and commitment. So, yeah, just talk to people, reach out. Everybody's usually happy. Even if they're busy, they're happy to talk. So do that. And also start preparing early. If you're looking to start apply for a PhD program, kind of start early because applications are going to be long. You'll have to write your essays and get your recommendations and things like that definitely start early. It's not going to be like an undergrad application. You'll have to kind of work really hard on your essays. Start early. That's great advice. We haven't had someone say that, uh, especially about going or specifically about going to a PhD program. So starting early is definitely something that I think we can all learn from. I know uh, Joe and I were talking about this as we contemplated going for our PhD um, with our with the other members of our cohort. We're like, we probably, if we wanted to do this, we probably should have already started. <laughs> and so, <laughs> usually, because applications are due like December 1st, usually the year before. So, if you're trying to start next year, then you probably should know by at least like the end of the summer and then start working on your applications and stuff so you get it in on time. But yeah, a lot of people like decide in the end or like those things. And it's still doable. I'm not saying it's not, but like starting early kind of like clears your mind and makes you more focused about where you want to go. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's great advice. And if you end up going for a PhD program, <laughs> don't wait till the last second. <laughs> um, but thank you, Artie, for joining us. You gave uh, our listeners some really great tips on, you know, applying for a PhD if they end up going for it. So we appreciate you coming on. Yeah, yeah, thank, thank you for you. having me. It's great. Take care. So that was an awesome episode with Artie. Um, it's always great to see her. Um, for those of you that don't know or didn't pick up on it, we've we've known Artie for a little while now. Um, but it's also it's always great to hear about why she chose to go for her PhD. And I think a lot of students are going to find some value in that. Yeah, absolutely. If I uh... We end up going for a PhD. This is definitely an episode I'm going to re-listen to, especially her her take on like what programs to apply to and like the type of work you're going to end up doing. It's definitely an idea to keep in your head because it's not just like she was talking about. It's like a fit both ways. Sometimes when you apply to an undergraduate institution, it could be a fit both ways, but they have so many things to offer. There's so many different things you can do. But in a PhD program, it's very specified on, you know, like the type of professors you're going to work with and so on. So it was great to hear her advice on that. Yeah. It's just like when you're applying for a job, like you have to make sure that the fit is even on both ways, because this is like a long-term commitment for a PhD program and it's a lot more individualized. So to hear that from her and to hear just the different things that she valued um, in getting that PhD or going for that PhD, I think a lot of students will find that valuable. I know if I go, like Joe said, I'll definitely refer back to this as well, but, um, Thank you again, RT, for joining us. And her LinkedIn will be in the bio. So thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye.